0: Now, let's get on with the show.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I'm CJ Wolf, Healthicity's Senior Compliance Executive, and today uh, my guest is Rebecca Latches. Welcome, Rebecca.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, having me on the show.
1: Absolutely, and we're grateful for your time and, and expertise, and I look forward to talking about some of these things. But before we get into some of the topics that I uh, wanted to discuss, i was wondering if you would just briefly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your your compliance career and, and
0: how you've landed where you are now. Sure, I'd be happy to. I uh, started off as a healthcare regulatory attorney and worked in Louisville, Kentucky, and then in Washington, D.C., uh, about, uh, 11 or so years ago, uh, responded to a, uh, a headhunter and, uh, ended up at Bondscore Health System. We are a, um, large nonprofit, uh, Catholic health system, uh, that operates kind of mostly on the East Coast, but all the way into Kentucky as well. And I have been doing healthcare compliance ever since. And, uh, Probably the first eight years or so of my career at Bon Secours, I was the director of corporate responsibility uh, for the health system and really focused on the programmatic aspects of our compliance program. Uh, a few years ago, transitioned to working primarily on the population health efforts for Bon Secours. And uh, so I am the compliance officer for all of our ACOs, our Accountable Care Organizations, all of our clinically integrated networks, and really anything else that has to do with population health. So that could be the CPC Plus program, it could be bundled payments, um, uh, managed care, kind of everything that falls under that really large umbrella, uh, I will look at from a, um, from a compliance perspective. I uh, also have my own podcast that I do kind of on the side. Uh, and, yeah, so that is... Um, that's kind of what I am what I am doing right now.
1: That's great. Thank you. Now tell us the name of your podcast.
0: Sure, it's called Compliance Mastermind.
1: Excellent. and um, appreciate you you uh, having some of that expertise as well. And it's funny how you kind of mentioned how you ended up in compliance. I'm not sure any of us grow up thinking we're going to be a compliance officer, right?
0: Definitely, definitely not. I think I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer, but didn't really know what that meant. So I'm very thankful that I ended up uh, doing a project when I was a really um, baby law student. I did a project on HIPAA and uh-huh. fell in love with healthcare and healthcare compliance. And yep, that's that's how I got to where I'm at. I know it's
1: so interesting. You know, I think I shared with you privately that um, my educational training is as a physician, as an MD. And when I was in medical school, towards the last part of medical school, I remember somebody telling me, as we were doing our clinical rotations, somebody from administration would, was educating us on what had to be in the medical record, because this was in the midst of all the PATH audits, the physicians wow. at teaching hospitals. And I remember from, from that day, thinking, wait a second, there's a whole other world here of what you can and can't do in healthcare that, that doesn't necessarily have directly, uh, direct um, Contact with patients, but it's this whole other world of healthcare compliance, and so it's kind of funny how we all end up uh, where we are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm very grateful for that kind of last minute project that uh, put me on a much different path than what I thought I'd be on.
1: Exactly. Well, and thank you for your introduction because what the reason? Really, one of the reasons I wanted to to speak with you a little bit more is your expertise in ACO compliance, which is, you know, it's probably a way, the way that a lot of healthcare is going with this shared savings program and bundled payments and these sorts of things that a lot of us have heard about, um, you know, from a healthcare reform perspective, but you're on the front lines of that world in a compliance perspective. Um, And so I'm hoping we can talk a little bit about that. and, And kind of my first question to you is, you know, how does, How do the compliance program requirements for Medicare Shared Savings Program differ from, let's say, what a lot of us know on the provider side of compliance?
0: Sure, and I, you know, they they do differ, but I think as I kind of get into it a little bit, you'll see they're probably not all that much um, much different. But like I said, I work with um, med- the ACOs in the Medicare Shared Savings Program, and the really nice thing about the MSSP is that there is a regulatory framework. You don't get all reg- like very specific regulations in all of the population um, health initiatives that CMS puts out, but the MSSP there are specific um, uh, regulations. So the regulations that um, uh, spell out the compliance program obligations for the MSSP identify five required elements for the compliance program. And again, that is that is different than the seven elements, but I'll just kind of highlight them very um, at a very high level, and I think you'll see how the seven can really fit into the five that were identified in the MSSP. So. Okay. The um, just very similar to kind of your traditional seven elements, uh, there is a compliance officer uh, for that is a requirement for the MSSP. They did um, specify that that person cannot be legal counsel, and they also specify that they have to report directly to the board. So that is maybe a little bit more specific than what you get in some of the other compliance program guidance. Right. Um, The, you know, the next. Um, requirement is a mechanism for identifying and addressing compliance programs. And again, this is pretty consistent with the seven elements. you know what I think of this particular um, requirement, I'm thinking of risk assessments, the types of monitoring activities that you would do no matter what type of sure. um, provider you know that you are um, uh, pr- setting up a compliance program for. Right. Um, the third, Uh, Element is a method for employees and your ACO participants, which are your providers and your provider groups, And it's a a mechanism for them to anonymously report um, compliance problems. So that's your hotline. It's any other mechanism that you have, whether it's on the web or on the phone, um, for reporting. And, again, that's very consistent with the seven. Compliance training is a fourth element. um, And then a mechanism to report probable violations of law. So all of that is really consistent with the seven elements. I mean, I think the, the one that really stands out to me is, is not being officially addressed are the policies and procedures. Right. certainly you can plug that into pretty much all five requirements of um, the MSSP compliance program.
1: Exactly. Now, you mentioned, it's kind of interesting, you know, the difference between um, identifying problems and then a way to, re- in, in communicating issues, but then there's, it sounds like there's a specific requirement when there's a probable um,
0: uh, breaking of the law, is, is, did I hear that right? There is, so it's, it says very specifically, and I think it's really broad, um, a mechanism to report probable violations of law, and uh, the description of this probable violations of law, I mean, in my opinion, it could really mean anything and uh, so that's why I think it's really important for the compliance officer to kind of be involved in um, kind of the operational aspects of the of the of the a c o really understanding kind of everything that is going on so that if something were to happen that, you know, they might think might trigger this probable violations requirement uh, that they'd be able to at least tap into the your the legal team and it really anyone else to help kind of sort that out. I will tell you, I've talked to a lot of ACO compliance officers, and um, everyone really thinks that this is broad. I, I'm not sure how tested it is necessarily, but... Sure. Um, but uh i have also seen similar language in the bundle payment program, so I don't think it's language that's that's going away and and you know maybe hopefully down the line we'll we'll know a little bit more about uh kind of the full scope of the language
1: yeah, interesting. so you mentioned that you you know you've spoken to other compliance officers and a c o s maybe you could maybe I should take a step back and just kind of ask you in general what's the What's the landscape of ACOs in, in, the, in the country? Are there, I mean, how many are there? How big is this? Is it on its way up or is it on its way down? I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that in general?
0: Sure. So I definitely don't think ACOs are going away anytime soon. I think more and more ACOs are joining the Medicare Shared Savings Program. Uh, there's also another Medicare ACO called Next Generation. So there's Next Gen ACOs. And I think there's still some Pioneer ACOs out there. I don't know exactly the numbers, but I do know that um, every year more and more um, entities are applying to become an ACO. And really what what you do when you apply is sign up for a three-year program. And so you have your first program, your second and third, and then at the end of that third, you'll either renew or decide you want to do something else. But I think uh, the majority of ACOs are sticking around for longer than their three years. Uh, the other thing about ACOs is that there's different tracks, and track one is kind of the upside only, which means that there are is only an opportunity to share in um, in the savings, which is right. great. And it kind of gets people in the door, right. and uh, then there's tracks two and three and one plus, and all of those have different um, risk. Uh, profiles, Um, but I definitely don't think that ACOs are going away anytime soon, and uh, as far as talking with other ACO compliance officers, uh, you know, it's new, and a lot of us are just kind of feeling our way around this, so it's really helpful to have a community of other ACO um, compliance folks to be able to tap into because, yeah, it is new.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of what I was going to ask you is, you know... um what, where, do you, where does somebody start if they're if they're new to this? And I, my suspicion is, like in a lot of newer areas in healthcare, if they're having compliance officers, they, they typically draw from, you know, the population of compliance officers that may be for hospitals or for health systems sure. or physicians, you know, and so people have maybe a compliance background in general, but they don't know the specifics about what's unique about compliance and ACOs. And Where would somebody start? if they sure. got a new job or, or they're looking into that.
0: Yeah, and I can tell you where I started and where I know a lot of my um, fellow ACO compliance officers start, and that is go back to the regulations, uh, pulling out, and not just for compliance programs, to really look at the nitty gritty details of what's required for an ACO. So all the way from what is required on the governance side of things, what type of board you need to have, uh, the composition of the board, and move all the way through to what's required in the ACO participation agreement. What type of quality program do you need to have? Uh, how do you share savings? All of that, really start at the start there because it is it is a little bit it is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, the, you know the next place that I would look is the participation agreements that you have with your ACO participants. So this is really the agreement. That is with the ACO and any of the either independent providers, provider groups, hospitals, anyone who has signed on to be a participant in your ACO. I think this is a document that's going to tell you not, you know, you want to look at it just to make sure that it complies with the regulations, but there's a lot of other stuff in this document that will tell you what is expected of your ACO participants what's expected of the ACO. And I think those are really important things to monitor right. as an ACO compliance officer.
1: So if I could just take you back to you said start the regulations, I think that's a you know great starting place for a lot of things in compliance. So where would somebody go? Are these in uh, finalized rules in the federal register? Is it in law? Uh, where do you say the foundational documents reside?
0: Yep, they absolutely are in the Federal Register. It's 42 CFR something or other. (laughs) But if you go to the MSSP um, CMS website, they have lists all of the regulations. And there's been a few, um, you know, amendments and everything over the last couple of years that I think are important. But that is definitely um, where I would start. And, you know, the the other thing that I think is really, has been really helpful uh, to look at is the MSSP application. And most people probably might not think to look there, but the application is a really um, full document. It it says not, it, it kind of identifies the certifications, so the things that you are saying that you are going to do as an ACO. Right. And there's a number of... Um, there is a number of um, extended kind of um, essays, if you will, that, that you need to provide um, for the Medicare Shared Savings Program for them to evaluate you as a potential applicant. And those, um, you know, range from your quality program, how are you going to engage beneficiaries? All of that really gets to what did your ACO say it was going to do and how did it think that it was going to be um, effective and kind of meet the Fundamental obligations of of the uh, ACO requirements, and I think looking at that and really understanding what your operational leadership anticipated doing is another really um, is just another really key way to. Uh, kind of understand your ACO and the way that it anticipates meeting all of its requirements.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. and And it, it rings another bell in my mind, not to take us too far off track, but I don't know if you're familiar with these district programs um, that are typically Medicaid programs that are state uh, type of awards, that the federal government, sure. can, you know, it's very similar. What I hear you say with, with district programs is you have to know what your organization promised because there's... I mean, these are innovative type of organizations, right? And they, they suggest and promise they can deliver on certain things. So the compliance is maybe not with, um, you know, a CPT code that has a national definition. It's what you promised in the agreement or in, in the grant or, or or that sort of thing. So I'm hearing those same similar themes that, you know, as an ACO, as an organization, you had certain goals and certain deliverables. Is that accurate?
0: I- Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing that's, that has struck me over the last few years as to what is different with an ACO, and particularly as an ACO compliance officer, is just the need to, to kind of not embed in a um, un, not independent way, but really understand the operations. And that goes, you know, finding out what did they say we would do and what are we doing? Exactly. And really understanding. The, um, the operational aspects of your ACO. I don't think it's enough to make sure that you just have the kind of foundational documents. That's the easy part in exactly. my opinion. But really um, understanding what how it works and uh, the compliance kind of pitfalls associated with
1: it. Yeah, because, I mean, you're probably certifying to certain things on a periodic basis. So it's what are you certifying to? Are those true and accurate? And what are, probably what are the flow of funds? You know, what... What key things are you saying yes and no to that that get you funds um or, or financial incentives? Is that also something to be thinking about?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the way that the the way that the funds work is um if you do end up with a particular level of shared savings you will um, share in that. And then each of your ACOs will have a distribution methodology. And it's really understanding how your ACO is going to divvy up those shared savings and then distribute it to the physicians. That's really, in my opinion, you know, a big, potentially a big risk area and uh, one that the ACO compliance officer should really understand.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's kind of follow the money type of thing. um, You know, I remember years ago when, uh, again, a little bit off track, but I think it's an, an analogy that might fit here, when uh, the incentive payment program for EHRs was coming out. Um, sure. you know, I remember saying to everybody, look, this sounds great. You're getting money. But guess what, folks? You're going to have to certify to something when you get those funds that you're using EHRs in a certain way. Well, lo and behold, here we are a few years later, and you can see the OIG has it on their work plan. They, they Essentially, they follow the money. Um, and compliance... Um, these skills are applicable in so many ways, but I mean, I think something similar to that is probably going to be uh, in the in the realm of enforcement and ACOs. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think so. I think CMS is kind of feeling, you know, kind of feeling it along as just as we are, and you know, you haven't seen any big enforcement actions with ACOs, but they're but they're doing audits and they are, you know, they're looking at your quality, they're looking at. Uh, you know, some of the components, the structural components of your ACO. And I think they're really using that to get their feet under, under them and, uh, you know, kind of evaluate the the program itself. So, you know, we haven't seen any big enforcement, but that doesn't mean it's not on the horizon.
1: Exactly. Uh, and that's kind of how I think that's the cycle of compliance is, is money gets distributed. And then it's a few years later that they start, you know, um, doing some of those audits and start doing enforcement. With that in mind, you may have already mentioned some, but are there key risk areas that you recommend ACO compliance officers keep a close watch on?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think ACOs are not healthcare providers, traditionally, so there's one version of an ACO where there's only one tax ID number and you might be able to kind of be your hospital and an ACO at the same time. Uh, But most ACOs are separate legal entities. And they are legal entities that are not considered covered entities under the HIPAA rules. And instead, you're a business associate. And because you're not actually providing the care most of the time, practically all of the time, um, data, what you have and and your benefit to um, uh, your participants is the data. How you look at it, how you analyze it, how you make it actionable, for your participants. I think that's a really um, kind of the backbone of what an ACO does. And because of this, you have all of the legal pitfalls that anyone with a large amount of, um, of health data would have. And in addition to kind of having the foundational HIPAA and privacy, uh, business associate arrangements, um, kind of all of that contractual documentation that you would expect between a business associate and a covered entity, you also have to sign a, the ACO has to sign a data use agreement. And this really allows you to get the claims data. That's really the, um, is really one of the big benefits of being in an, M- in an MSSP ACO. And so you get all of this data that you didn't otherwise have access to. And the data use agreement is very specific. In some instances goes, you know, is more, Um, onerous than the business associate obligations. And it's just something else for um, ACO compliance officers to monitor and ensure that if the CMS claims data is being used outside of your ACO. Let's say you have um, an analytics firm that's helping you with analytics or uh, care management folks coming in. Uh, if you're sharing that data with them for any reason, they have to sign a data use addendum and it has to be approved by CMS. So th- all of these kind of foundational aspects to be able to use the data and share the data, I think are is just a really um, key risk area yeah. for the ACOs.
1: So like information security is probably a big portion of, of a compliance initiative and, and, and program, is that right?
0: You know, it is. And it you know, in maybe in your typical healthcare compliance, security might be something separate. But I think as an ACO compliance officer, you have to understand how that is working with your ACO. And it may um, it may not be uh, kind of top of the mind for your information security folks right. that they need to think about this differently. But I think that's kind of our obligation to walk them through and say, if you know, kind of put out some scenarios out there. So I do think information security and uh, obviously privacy is 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 a big risk.
1: Absolutely. Well, Rebecca, um, we're kind of coming close to the the end of our time here. I wanted to ask one maybe quick question. Um, taking you back a little bit to the resources available. I mean, you're just, you're, you have a, a immense knowledge here. And I'm sure if there are other ACO compliance professionals that are listening, they'd want to know, you know, where do they go to connect with people like you? Obviously you have your podcast, uh, Compliance sure. Mastermind, if I got it right. Um, and, yep. but are, you know, are there working groups or are there listservs? Are there groups that get together at national conferences or what, what kind of um, professional um Communities are out there.
0: Yeah, so I wish I could say that there is, you know, kind of this one-stop shop for ACO compliance officers, uh, but I haven't found it.
1: Okay, (laughs) (laughs) maybe you should create it. it?
0: That would be be great. However, there are a lot of... uh, organizations, if you're part of, uh, you know, I'm, we're part, we happen to be part of Catholic Health Association and, uh, I started kind of a, a group of other ACO compliance officers, uh, there. If you're part of a group purchasing organization, they may have, um, a group for compliance, ACO compliance officers as well. I think really reaching out to, um, well, you know, another place to kind of look and see if there is anybody else to connect with is LinkedIn. Okay. And um, I know that's kind of hit and miss sometimes. Sure. uh, But that's, uh, you know, that's another um, opportunity as well. And I know that there are ACO... associations and that sort of thing. It's been my experience that with the kind of clinical and administrative side of things that really all of these ACO um, associations really focus on, sometimes it is still hard to find the compliance folks. Um, But if anybody wants to reach out to me, I would be happy. I have a a big network of ACO compliance officers and I'd be happy to talk with them.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. Wealth of knowledge and appreciate your time and expertise. And uh, again, one last shout out, your podcast is called Compliance Mastermind, correct?
0: That is right. Thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. And thank you for joining us. And thank you all for uh, joining us today on another episode of Compliance Conversations. Until next time.